Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. There's a place here at the table. Your coats go by the door. You can kick your shoes off in that pile on the floor. I hope you wore elastic, because your waistband's going to get tight. Take time's done with Hi, you guys. Hi. I'm Sophie. And I'm Ari, and you're listening to Having a Night, a podcast dedicated to reviving the lost art of the dinner party. Oh, boy. What did you eat this week? While you were traveling the world, I visited one of our friends, Austin Power, at one of his places of employment, Niche Niche, a supper club here in New York, which is very cool. Um, And he was hosting another night, which we talked about on his episode back on season one, He's a sake sommelier, if you don't know. Uh, go back and listen to that episode, by the way. It's Such a good phenomenal. one. Um, but he did this night, and he paired each course with... It was like a journey of bubbles. It wasn't all sake. So we had a champagne, then we had a sparkling cider, and we had this phenomenal sake. It was, And then a beer. It was really cool. Ooh, that sounds great. Because at the sake dinner, I loved everything that we had. But I like having a little bit more variety. Yeah. Yeah. And we had... The food was delicious. We had this... Yeah, like insanely simple and flaky cod. Oh, yeah. So good with leeks and just like, I don't know what the sauce was. I've got to brush up on my French technique, but it was something, it wasn't like a hollandaise, but it was kind of tart, but buttery. I mean, it was delicious. Yum. What about you? Well, so I went to London on a semi-spur of the moment trip to see my boyfriend. And then we went to Ireland. We went to this place called Ballymaloo which is a famous cookery school and it's attached to this really beautiful old house, not literally attached, but like three miles away from this really beautiful old house that's also called Ballymaloo and it functions as a hotel. It's really only for people who love to eat and drink because the food there, oh my God, it was so special. So the whole thing, it's so cozy. Mm -hmm. It's a hundred acres of nothing but gardens and vegetation and beautiful greenery and the dinner, they do a five course dinner for like not that much money, but I mean, my, my dream, they have a cheese cart, they have a dessert trolley. It's so incredible. Our friend, Alana Schulman, who Ari and I both love so much had given me all of these recommendations and every recommendation was just like, eat all the butter, make sure to try all the desserts. Yeah. But like when you have the main course there, if the waiters take a shine to you, they'll come around and be like, 
would you like to try a taste of all of the other main courses that you didn't have? What? I mean, it I've was never heard of such insane. a thing. Insane, Ari. It's like the least amount of shaming that I've ever seen in a restaurant. Wow. Like if you have a huge appetite, it was so special. That is special. And then the breakfast. So first of all, there's a huge breakfast buffet. You know, when you go to like one of those stupid hotels and they have a breakfast buffet and they're like, it's $70 for the breakfast oh, buffet. Ew. None of that shit. Huge buffet. And then after you've buffeted yourself, they come over and give you a menu with like all of the savories or whatever else oh they God. have. So you do like a two course breakfast. Oh my guys, God. It was... I would then have to go back to sleep. So something that I'm feeling very passionate about in this exact moment was I had some crepes for breakfast that were so excellent. Mm-hmm. And like crepe, a crepe is one of my favorite things, whether it's savory or sweet. But these were just really simple, perfectly made crepes with butter and sugar. And then they have all these homemade blackberry jam, Uh raspberry jam, Uh like all of these things that you could put on yourself. It was just so simple and pure and delectable. And it felt like I was really nourishing my body in some way. I totally get that. I totally get that. Yeah. And it was, everything I ate was so good, but those really stuck out in their simplicity for some reason. Beautiful. This was very special. So this week, this week we have such a special guest on. We have our new friend, Theo Friedman, who is the youngest chef I know. This guy started cooking. He kind of gained some like notoriety while he was a college student at Tufts because he started cooking these dinner parties in his dorm room and got really kind of into molecular gastronomy and then went through the ropes of New York's being, you know, um, staging at all these great restaurants under all these great chefs, um, opened up his own business, throwing dinner parties and catering. He's such a cool guy. Yeah, he really is. Ari and I left and both looked at each other and we were like, oh my God, if we were his age, we would be so obsessed so with obsessed, this guy. So in love with him. <laughs> exactly. He's so great. Yeah. Super knowledgeable, but also extremely like self-effacing. Not at all like, yeah, I mean, I kind of started a thing when I was 18. He's no. like so chill. <laughs> Um, so listen up. We really enjoyed recording this, so we hope you enjoy it. So we're here with Theo Friedman, who's a chef. I want to say an entertainer because you're not a chef in the most traditional sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I wouldn't use that word to describe what it is I do. I always have a tough time when people ask me what I do. I say I, I, I work in the food industry. Yeah. And usually that opens up a number of different questions. And depending on where I'm at with my life, what I'm doing, what I identify with, I kind of lead with those things. But no, I, the word chef has never felt appropriate. Huh. Yeah. Even though, I mean, so because your sort of career started when you were in college, mm-hmm. basically, and started throwing these prefix. Like, how would you yeah. describe them? Parties in um, the dorm? Honestly, they, they were just an opportunity and an outlet for me to continue my culinary education while I was in a liberal arts environment. You know, during the summers, I, I moved to New York and, and worked in a number of different restaurants. When I was uh, in Boston, I, I staged at some restaurants, but then I also started myself just creating um, and cooking and experimenting and hosting these these events, these dinners. Um yeah, really just as a way to um, mainly explore on my own and, and continue my own culinary education or, or start my own culinary education and also a way to, to build a community that I was having trouble finding socially. Mm-hmm. How would you invite people? How would you find people to, how would you ever find people to come? Like, would you tell friends and then they would tell friends or how'd it work? Well, I mean, it started 
in the dorm room. So like I was in the dorm room kitchen. So many questions. It was pretty obvious that like some dude was in there like at all nights of the hour. Right. With weird ingredients that, you know, aren't really found in a dorm room kitchen. But yeah, so a combination of that and a combination of telling my friends and and it kind of growing from there. That's so cool. I it's funny. I was thinking about this the other day. Like I grew up, <laughs> I grew up eating a lot um, and really loving food. And like I baked at home and stuff. And like I would cook with my dad. But when I got to college, I didn't cook at all mm-hmm. for four years. I mean, unless I was home cooking, like I had no real access to a kitchen. Cooked a little bit when I lived off campus one semester, but like. It's it's weird how much of a break I took from something that I feel so close to, mm. and that's so cool that you were actually just like you know what I'm yeah, like, I I'm gotta figure it out yeah yeah I I like I said this this flip kind of switch and I just like needed to be in that environment mm-hmm. I, I didn't come really from cooking much at home but yeah I just had this this craving to be in a kitchen in some capacity. And yeah, there were, there were definitely challenges in the dorm room environment. Like the amount of effort and time we would go through, or I would go through to just get the bare minimum. And I'm talking like a fork. Yeah. So every time I did something, you know, again, these bare like napkins and plates and cups for big groups of people were these huge challenges that in any other restaurant environment don't exist. But um, I felt super compelled to, like, overcome and and figure it out. It definitely felt like when I was in college, uh, you know, you can pursue any hobby in college except seemingly cooking. Cooking is like, don't worry, we'll make this easy for you. Like, we have a cafeteria. You don't have to worry about that. You should pursue the things you want to Mm. pursue. And it's kind of understood if you want to pursue something culinary, you would go to a a culinary school. It is weird. Like you can go rock climb. Like there were clubs for everything with that sir, but there was no cooking club. I know. I bet it's changed though. I'm sure that now Now there's like, God, we went to school in the fucking wrong decade. (laughs) (laughs) And then it's only kitchens. I think I was probably on the cusp. I mean, there were a couple cooking groups, but a lot of it was more about like eating rather than cooking. Yeah. Let's get a bunch of, bunch of cheese and like try it out yes like, all right like i'm not gonna hate on that but like, right. not really what i'm looking for yeah but also did you have a sous chef in your dorm situation or were you like just doing everything yourself uh pretty much doing everything myself uh which is what <laughs> ended up happening with with theory kitchen uh-huh. um for some events i i had uh a couple friends jump in yeah yeah do you want to tell us about theory kitchen Sure. Yeah. Um, so theory kitchen was kind of this really organic fluid, ever changing, ever growing thing that, that happened, um, without really any pure intention of, of the end result. Um, really it was again, just capitalizing on an opportunity for my personal growth and, Mm -hmm. and development, um, and channeling that into creating experiences for others. When I graduated college, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I moved to New York. I got a job at a restaurant, which made me very unhappy. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, I had a couple really big opportunities and big events. So, so the types of events that I did were either public, um, ticketed events where we would do anywhere between like 10 and 20 course tasting menus. Oh 10 to 15 people at a time and multiple seatings throughout either one night or over the course of a weekend started here. Yeah. Wow. 
And th- that was in the beginning, probably 75% of the type of events. The other 25 were more someone coming to us for specific requests, either mm-hmm. having a group of people themselves or whether it's a company or um, some sort of brand collaboration mm-hmm. or a corporate thing. Um, over the years, that ratio would switch drastically. And I would say like the past year, I didn't do any public events. Um, it was all working with organizations or brands or yeah. partners or whatever. Mm-hmm. And with Theory Kitchen, were the events that you threw that were not, you know, more corporate or for a different company, the ones that you were purely throwing here and you had complete control over, Yeah. how would you, you know, would you differentiate them from where you like, oh, this weekend we are celebrating or we are, you know, it's a showcase of this type of food or this person. Was there a theme? Like how would you kind of, in your small way, advertise sure. them or sure. Yeah. No, uh, it, like, <laughs> just like we're doing ca- one tonight. Absolutely. People came in totally blind. Oh, that's great. Didn't release the menu until people are in their seats. Um, they had no idea what they were eating. This sounds extremely arrogant and like, Ooh, but like, say s- it. like, like step into my world and like experience a piece of me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm, shocked that people gave us that that trust and that um control and you know i think i needed to give myself an out because most of the time when we were doing these uh the first time i would ever cook the dish really is when we were doing it that's crazy and so i couldn't necessarily design the menu um in advance and release it because i was changing (laughs) things constantly like I just can't get over the fact that you were like, first of all, I'm making up these recipes. I've also, this is also my first time cooking them. I mean, that's a little arrogant, super ballsy. Yeah. No, it's no, awesome. It's Cause I, I mean, I'll often throw dinner parties and I'll cook something that I've never cooked before from a recipe, whatever. Yeah. But like, even that sometimes feels, I'm a little like, well, well, it wasn't yeah, that great. And Hey, what are you going to do? But I think vulnerable in a way, yeah. you know, but, but yeah. you're on a whole other, other level. It's great. It feels like a very, uh, distinctively, artistic approach mm-hmm. like come to this showing like come to the gallery showing as yeah. opposed to like I'm making food that I know people will love it's a, almost a different right. category of of eating out which totally. is really nice this thing ended up happening where um not to sound like too cheesy or cliche but there was a a, a sense of like mini community that was be- built during that night and I mm-hmm. think um everyone involved both my front of house back of house staff and myself and the guests all kind of connected and, re- and related on, on a level that you just don't find in a restaurant. Um, and that's what was, I think, most special about it. The food, yeah. the, the atmosphere, the environment, the music, the wine, whatever, was all kind of um, a vehicle for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's so cool. So how did you approach those things you just mentioned? Obviously, the food's going to come first in a situation like this. But are you thinking about lighting, music? Like, are those things changing depending on the menu or just however you're feeling that day? And have you found, like, greater successes with, you know, candlelight versus dimmed overheads? I'm very, very interested question. in light. Very interested in light. <laughs> sure. Great ambiance. Yeah. Very important. No, great, great questions. The, the first thing it kind of comes down to is space. It's yeah. Like what is the space and what is the environment? Everything else comes from that. Right. Um, including the food. Including the food. Mm. Cool. Because, well, yes and no. Cool, but that was always the biggest challenge because I was never cooking in an actual uh, 
kitchen really. Like, like a this is the best kitchen. kitchen that we've cooked in, oh and it's God. it's a four burner electric stove. Right. Most places were like some art studio that had like a kitchenette, right? right. Or some you know all, we were always so after we moved out of here, like we were always moving around and kind of finding new spaces. Um, which again, yeah, very exciting, but also super, super challenging. Yeah. From a That's operational so stressful. Fuck. Well, yeah, stressful, but, but, it but again, like you like this stuff, I, so. I, I do, I do. I love, I love those challenges. I love the logistics of it. I love trying right. to figure out, okay, like this is what exists here. How do we build an experience that works within this space? Right. Um, so it starts with space, then it, then it kind of comes into food and then, um, beverage and then kind of ambiance is kind of the layers I guess I, I mm-hmm. think of it I, I mean I would say my my strong points are not like ambiance and, and and environment and kind of the more design decorative elements mm-hmm. um uh yet I recognize its value and importance and like higher us um, will come to your lighting please. for you yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like the just dim the narrow <laughs> yes don't, don't touch yes. this <laughs> so and, okay oh, oh. You come into a space, you've rented this space for, you know, whatever it is. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, well, let me just add one thing. Yeah, please. There. Like, I think at a certain point, um, towards the end, like, I took a much chiller approach to all that, too. Uh, in the beginning, I was, like, very focused on all those tiny details. Right. Um, because I think I was, like, super influenced by uh, the fine dining environment, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of, I guess, where I came from as far as my experience goes. Um, but ultimately found that like really alienating both in those experiences and especially trying to like combine that with like this really intimate, warm, um, environment that we were trying to create Yes, in these settings. And so like, for example, this one place I hosted at a few times, um, it's like this gorgeous, like six story brownstone in, in Brooklyn, used to be like the, the private home of the Pfizer family. So it's mm. like immaculate, it like, yeah, totally luxurious. And the host, uh, had asked, or, or excuse me, the owner of the house had asked us to cover the table, the dining room table. Um, cause it's a very expensive table, I guess. And so for a while we were using like white tablecloths and stuff. And, and ultimately we ended up using butcher paper, mm-hmm. dropping crayons on, on nice. everyone's mm-hmm. place. And they just like went to town and, and, loved it yeah. and, and so like certain things like that with the with the ambience and the environment and the design changed over time and we found like actually worked a lot better and the mm-hmm. guests enjoyed it a lot more and yeah. we weren't trying to be as like fancy or pretentious or whatever right yeah and you don't have to bring that tablecloth back to the dry cleaners exactly. every week or whatever <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 it was this massive table and we couldn't like cover it with one table yeah no and then you're like <laughs> Having to measure all of them and make sure. Oh they God! Yeah, the nightmares. Well, that's like where it's helpful to just have a different person who's in charge of that. Yes, like it's so true. nice. Yeah, could be so nice. But um, I mean, I'm thinking about like coming into a space that basically has no kitchen, yeah. like not even a kitchenette. Would you just rely a lot on plugins, like a sous vide machine, like things like that, or would you do a lot of the prep work outside and then just bring it there? Yeah. So a lot of the a lot of the prep was done offsite. It was it was always like how do we build a menu that works in the space? So it was, it was super constricting as to the the foods and the menu and the style that we could do. Plus, given the fact that like it was usually myself and and maybe one other person that were trying to pick up like fifteen plates at a time, right? yeah, in a non kitchen environment. And so 
how thick you could slice your protein was like a very real consideration because by the time you do 15 of those and get it out to the dining room, like it's going to be cold. And so like even simple stuff like that was really challenging for us. Or, or like you can't sear like 15 steaks, like off of two burners. Right. right? So it's just like, we're not doing that. Like we got to think of a a dish where like you can pick up a giant single pot of it or something. Um, so that, that was really challenging um, yeah, we, we have like emergent circulars that we brought or like occasionally we would rent an induction burner. But, it's really yeah. cool because it's actually like finding freedom within the form. Totally. So like having so many constraints yep. just makes you find all of these, makes you think so outside of the box 100%. in a funny way. But I think it's really interesting because I think that taps into something I've learned about myself over the years, which is I think what actually gives me the most satisfaction like is that very kind of straightforward logistical thinking, problem solving mm-hmm. mindset, um, which is what I've, I've spent my last two years doing uh, with Bonsai. Mm-hmm. And um, what I think, yeah, is, is a large part of what I was doing with Theory Kitchen. Like every single event was different. It was always these changing variables it was always like, okay, how do we create this thing with these set of constraints? Right. And mm-hmm. I love that aspect of it. Yeah. Um, so very well said. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, With Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. So what is bonsai? So so bonsai is a a Japanese dessert, a Japanese-inspired dessert and cafe. Amazing. Um, Dessert shop and cafe. Um, That's really kind of fluctuated and involved and, and grown and changed over time. Um, it started out um, revolving around one specific dessert. Um, can you tell us what it is? Totally, yeah. <laughs> so I can tell you, but it, it's... it's. You have to swear on your license. Never to no, tell no, no. It, so, so it's called kakigori. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a Japanese-style shaved ice. It's super light, super fluffy. Um, one of the things that we learned and and have struggled with since day one is um, consumer education and and understanding of the product. So those words like shaved ice, I think, conjure up a very clear idea of of like snow cones in America, right? Um, That is our working... Like syrup. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, We have have a a pretty clear idea of what that is. Totally, totally, totally different product. Um, And so we don't really have the best language to describe it. Uh, here in America, and so that's a big thing that we've we've struggled with, and that's what I was saying. I can tell you what it is, but really the best way is is experiencing it. Um, Great. So that's see you there at four yeah. p.m. Wow. <laughs> uh, so that's where the the company started was this product. Um, since then, like I said, it's kind of grown more into a cafe, coffee shop type thing. Um, and as we've moved different locations and, and grown as a company. Um, yeah, that continues to evolve. And it's all based in New York, or do you guys yep. have multiple outposts now? Uh, so we, we do. They're, they're based in New York. Uh, we have done work in other places. We were in Japan for a week for a pop-up there. Awesome. Uh, so how'd it go? Japanese? 
shave ice among the Japanese. Totally, good. yeah, yeah. So awesome. it was, it was that was like a very interesting um, experience. So we we participate in Smorgasburg, mm-hmm. and they have uh, a Smorgasburg in Japan, and so they they invite, do. Oh yeah. my god, yeah, guys, the world is all just one now. It's like you yeah, might as well not so. travel anywhere because you're gonna find it all. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. Wow. Uh, they've been doing that for a few years, and they invited us there um, in. 2018. Do they fly you out or you yeah. kind of have to get there? Yeah, no, no. It was wow. pretty dope. I'm going to smorgasburg Japan for free. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they hooked it up. It was, it was, it was awesome. Um, but it was, yeah, kind of a weird thing thinking about like two white dudes bringing a Japanese concept to Japan. Totally. So we, and, and that has something since day one that we always approach with a lot of like, intentionality is, sure. is the word that I use. Um, we, we never claim to be an authentic experience. We never claim, we don't use the word traditional authentic. Um, do you say, that. do you get around that by saying like Japanese style or like, yeah, Japanese style, Japanese inspired, yeah. um, roots in Japan, but like really approaching it from, from a New Yorker, from a Western perspective, right. from our personal experiences, from a perspective of just like, my goal is to create something that when you just like close your eyes, take a bite out of it, you're like, yeah, it's delicious. Like, yeah, I don't totally. Need to know really yeah. Doesn't fucking anything. matter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but to answer your question, taking it to Japan was, was, was awesome. It was really, really well received. And, and I think there is kind of innately a fascination for anything American there. And so I think they were really curious to see like our approach to it. Yeah. Um, In the same way that now there's a fascination with anything Japanese totally. here. So yeah, it is a weird goes both ways. Someone who subscribes to Boxu. What's Boxu? Guys, it's one of these, you know, monthly subscription services where you get a box of like Japanese snacks that you can't get here. Huh? It's great. It's any any winners? Any highlights from the snacks? Uh, last month there was this great, just like, you know, round kind of seaweed and rice cracker oh, that was so yeah. umami and good and just looks so plain, but it just tastes incredible. I, cool. I kind of lean towards the savory things, but yeah. these great like um, yuzu hard candies, mochi, there's always some mochi. There's sometimes there's some misses. There's mm. always like some funny Kit Kat sure, that you right. can't find, but it's a great box cool. of Japan. Yeah, yeah. Would live there. And I love snacks. So. Love <laughs> snacks. Yeah. Um, so, boxing. Love, you love snacks. Want to support this podcast? Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. We we have room for more advertisers. We do. <laughs> um, I was going to ask this earlier, but we just got down a different track. How would you? I wanted to hear about like your experience with Japanese cuisine, but before that, how would you describe your cooking? Because we know it's artistic, mm. experimental. Yeah. But is there a is are there certain flavor profiles or regions that you feel more, I don't know, comfortable with? Totally. Or? So I'll, I'll answer it head on and then a little bit more theoretical. Sure. I, I would say like Southeast Asian art is kind of, and, and like Central South American, those are my comfort foods. Mm-hmm. Um, I've no like heritage or, or, or nationality associated to that, but that's just, I think what I grew up eating a lot and what, I re- the places I love to travel and yeah. kind of the, the, the people that I connect with in a way. Um, as far <laughs> as how I would define like the, the food that I cook, I know it's an annoying answer, but like I, I wouldn't. You could take that like a step further and be like, okay, like what is Italian food like? 
do I have to be in Italy to cook it? Like, do I have to be Italian? Like if I use a tomato and make like a pico de gallo, like, or if I make like a tomato sauce for a pizza, like, you know, yeah, I, I, I found that tough. Like, yes, on on the outside, you can kind of categorize things and it's of course helpful. Like categories are helpful in all aspects of life. But then if you like interrogate that a little bit further, it kind of all breaks down. Yeah. So, um, well, it's also, I feel like if you're going to a more high end dining experience, if you want to call it mm-hmm. that, like often the cuisine, especially in this country is like somewhat moot, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's like, yeah. you're kind of going because, you know, like La Brenna down, for instance, uses so many Southeast Asian yep. flavors, East Asian flavors, French flavors, Italian flavors, like a lot of these restaurants now are such a blend and yeah. it's more that you're going to have the person's food, the restaurant's yes. food, as yeah. opposed yes. to, so I think that, I mean, also like we were just saying, like the world is so, you know, it's such a mind meld these days that especially in New York, like these flavors are around us all the time. And so I can imagine that like having to define what you cook is it's, I, I mean, I do this all the time to people where people are like, yeah, I love to cook. And I say, Oh, what do you like to make? Mm. I'm like, fuck, I hate that question. Mm. Why am I asking mm-hmm. it? Cause it's so like, I don't know. One night I make a curry, the next night I make a roast chicken. Totally. Then I'm just grilling vegetables. Like it's yeah. So bonsai theory kitchen and like, what else are you up to now? Mm. God, I can't believe how many chapters you've had. I'm like, oh god. Do you want to talk about Monday? Did I tell you about that? I think oh. you mentioned it. Okay, yeah. it's with building bonsai over the past two years. Um, my social life has disappeared one hundred percent, and so in the winters, um, as as an attempt to because that's our slower time for bonsai frozen dessert product, mm-hmm. um, in attempts to both solve solve both those problems, getting back into just like cooking for the sake of, of pleasure and for um, being around my friends, I started every Monday um, just kind of hosting again kind of That's doing amazing. the thing that I, I started back in college that I love to do yeah uh, it's, it's coming a little full circle um <laughs> you're just, only 26 yeah exactly don't <laughs> well, let okay, the circle right. close yet yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a, a loop that'll no, right the normal board um so yeah every Monday like the idea is for me I get to cook something simple and tasty and you know that I can slap on the table and everyone just digs in things out for a couple hours can so you great. recall what you made last monday or whenever the last one was um, or a highlight from a recent one yeah uh these ones have like a little bit more the- of a theme uh-huh. so like i did like pho the other night or like um i mean tacos are always like an easy go-to yes. um i've been doing a lot of like big pot kind of like stew roasty things yeah. um yeah the idea is like simple right like simple for me and then simple for the guests like no, yeah or for my friends yeah. yeah I mean I love it I think some of the more successful dinner parties I've thoroughly from is when we have a pot of something and we just put it on the table and people can kind of it feels rustic it feels shared yeah. it feels like everyone's kind of dipping yep. into it and maybe using their hands a bit maybe drawing on the butcher tablecloth with the hands yeah. I mean just giving people feeling like giving everyone an opportunity to really interact yeah. with the each other and the food and it's yeah. So it can really warm your heart. Well, it also sounds like you, t- you know, it's sort of the polar opposite of theory kitchen where 
it's much less theoretical, mm-hmm. right? And it's not like it, of course it's about the food cause it should be delicious, but it's about food that warms you, not about like 20 courses totally. of really exciting food that you're like, wow, I've never had this before. Totally. It's more like you just want to make sure that you're connecting with the person to your left and to yes. your right. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like food is kind of like the background noise. You also yeah. said something about cocktails in an email. Oh, yeah. Is oh. this your new thing? <laughs> like, I, like, are you a mixologist? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just I go through like different phases of being really into different things, and cocktails have kind of been <laughs> the thing recently. Um, what have you been making? And uh, maybe I should switch up, mix up my game. Uh, for cocktails, yeah. Oh, like what have you been um, getting into or trying or whatever? As far as what I have been making, again, kind of like simple stuff. Like mm-hmm. my favorite cocktail is a daiquiri. Like huh. as simple as it can be. Like, I was in Cuba recently and it turns out daiquiris are delicious. Yeah. So oh like, my what God. we think of as daiquiri is like the, the super sweet, like yeah. frozen gross. Yeah. No, daiquiri is like the basis of like almost every cocktail. Yeah, right? It's like is. spirit, sour, sweet, and that's it. Yeah. I, I love, yeah, how simple it is, but like that there's, there's nothing to hide behind. You know, it's, it's like mm-hmm. the, the roast chicken or something of right. the cocktail world in a way. So I've kind of been like messing around with variations of that. And I, so I've become really obsessed with, with Dave Arnold. I don't know if you know that name mm-hmm. or, or who oh, he is. Um, no, 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 no. I mean, there's millions of people out there. He's like one of the OG New York city, like food and beverage wizards. Uh, and Dave Arnold is just like this, this, yeah, super genius guy. He comes with like, an art background, but also a, a hyper like scientific engineering background and just overlay those two things into food and beverage. Um, he, he opened a bar called Booker and Dax. Mm-hmm. Oh, was, yeah. 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 So that was his. Is he uh, also Death and Co or no? No. Okay. No, that's someone else. Uh, Booker and Dax closed. Um, and then he opened, I think like about a year ago at this point, um, Existing Conditions, mm-hmm. which is on 8th. Yeah. He, he has developed, um, this is the last thing I'll say. I'm now I'm getting a little too too in the weeds here. Uh, we're, I'm learning. We're in the weeds. That's okay. not on the train. He he he. I think he developed it. It's definitely being used by other bars, but I think he's the source of of something called like acid adjusting things. Mm. So obviously, like when you make a cocktail, like acid is very important. Mm-hmm. But let's say you want to do something with like uh, the flavor profile of oranges, and you. But they're, they're, it's not acidic enough. To, mm-hmm. So, like, usually you'll maybe add some lemon juice or some lime juice. But instead of adding that lemon or lime juice to increase the acidity, but you're going to kind of dilute the orange flavor and you're going to get some of those, yeah. the lemon or lime nose, what it'll do is it'll take orange juice and it'll add a certain ratio of citric, malic, tartaric acid to right. adjust it to the level of uh, lime or lemon juice but you're not getting any of the lime or lemon flavor. That's so, um, yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, I've been playing around with that a little that's bit. That's cool. Really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just and like, also actually just makes so much sense. It's like, Oh, of totally. course you're yeah. just making an orange more acidic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's when I'm like, yes, molecular gastronomy. So, yes. Yeah. But like, okay, I fine. will never. One more little, <laughs> one more little note about, about him and, and the bar is like, there is so much of that going on but it's behind the scenes and it's all about like making the cocktail better in a way that you wouldn't you don't need to know about and so the guest experience the bar itself is like pretty played down like it's a a very casual bar that's why i think there's like because it seemed really low-key in a way it's very low-key like people are you know the bartenders are just wearing like t-shirts 
You don't um, have to buzz a bell and no, have someone come exactly. over and explain. Yeah. Oh, um, cocktails are like <laughs> they're they're expensive, but it's New York City, and and um, but the technique and and like the the thought behind them, there's so much to it. And again, as the guest, like you can either interact with that and like know about that or not, and just have like a really good time. Um, yeah, and so that's why I, I, I think he approaches that like whole molecular gastronomy mixology stuff um with like a great approach yeah yeah that's so different i feel like usually it's here look at this bubble i made totally. and like give me a please give me a pat on the back exactly. for it and, and like, then it just becomes it's like you're not right yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> although i did go to that bar in avery yeah in in, in when i was in chicago it's good it's i just would rather right. have a cocktail that's really simple and straightforward like yeah, it was a really fun experience, but yeah. I was kind of like, okay, well, yeah. you know, one hundred and fifty dollars later, no, I'm ready to go home, and I'm not even that drunk, and, yeah. and I didn't eat anything. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I get it. I'm like, I, the, over the past couple of years, really been disinterested in, in like super fine dining and, and yeah. that whole world, and that's where that's where my interest came from. But I had a number of those experiences, yeah, both working in that environment and as a customer, where mm-hmm. it's just like. Yeah, I don't feel great after, like, yeah. like emotionally. Yeah, like, yes. Um, or like, yeah, like I, I can have just like way better of like a, a emotional experience, like digging into tacos that cost a dollar on the street. 100%, yeah, percent, a hundred percent. I mean, part of the problem with the price tags of these places and knowing that before you go in, just the expectation mm-hmm. in the bar is so high. But mm-hmm. everyone, you know. Everyone has a different expectation, so the food can't possibly be what I want and what you want and what you you know. It's yeah. Just, and then you're underwhelmed because you don't know what exactly it was that you wanted. Right. You, what right. I mean, how do you value five hundred dollars in terms of food? Yep. It's really hard to imagine <laughs> that. Yep. So, just your body's weight in caviar. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that that would make me happy. Like how many glow cookies do you have to send me home with for me to feel happy about the yeah. check? You know. So it's just I would always pretty much always rather go to some other place that is yeah makes me feel like I'm having a feast in this way mm-hmm. that makes me feel good yeah. it makes me feel like I'm connecting to people and I'm not dropping the most money but then I also sometimes like it can be so nice because the promise is really there yeah. I mean right. but to me I'm like listen if you wheel out a cheese cart I'm in heaven like if yes. I'm in a place that has a dessert trolley a cheese cart like any of these things that feel somehow old school and like there's they're not trying to reinvent the wheel, but they are trying to make an experience that's delicious and fine dining, mm-hmm. which is a really different thing, right? From like Blue Hill or the, you know, yes. this one carrot. Ooh, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. the yeah, wizardry like, of it. But mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, yes, I think I have to. Yeah, this sure. was so great. Thank you so much. Totally. Wow. What an app. What a guy. I feel like if I could, as we were saying, like, oh, we went to college in the wrong era. Like if I could go back and redo my college existence, I think that is something that I would try to do is like not throw dinner parties to the level that he was throwing, but just like try to find ways to cook more to like bring people really together. I just never thought of it as a viable hobby or way to spend my time or even invest energy into it. It just felt like, oh, you got to eat so you can study for the test. Of, on something else. Yeah, where you gotta eat so you can Survive. line your stomach so you can go Drink. party. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, thank you to Theo Friedman. We can't wait to see what he's up to next. What a guy. And thank you to Colin Schmeling, Rebecca Cobert, Ad Large, 
Thank you to Sophie Von Hasselberg. <laughs> Thank you to Ari Venturi. And the, hey, that's all we got, folks. We'll see you next week.